first guest. Yes, here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. She can Hello. shout about it. She can laugh about it because she's got a book in the best-selling charts right now isn't that brilliant news we'll be looking at that in a moment and hello to one of our most stalwart narrators part-time thespian full-time good guy yes of course it's jeff sullivan first show of the month actually so we have no monthly leaderboard to beat As a notice here, this is going to surprise and shock everybody. Actually, have a look at this. The uh, seminar we did yesterday is actually live now. Can you believe it? Writing killer titles, it's available now inside the colony. Now, it wasn't last time, the one we did last time was blurbs. It took me weeks and weeks and weeks to get that through post production. Cut a few corners this time. It's the content that counts, folks, and it's kind of a rough cut at the moment. I wouldn't mind having your feedback on it, but I'm actually really pleased. This is Emma's latest and greatest. Um, have you looked at its its ranking recently, Emma? I've been looking at its ranking every ten minutes since oh. since yesterday. <laughs> just, no, no, not down. at all. No, really, no. I'm completely nonchalant about this is, it. Scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. You know what? It's gone up in the past hour. Number twelve in women's literary fiction across across Ooh. all books on Amazon. Isn't that cool? A it's genuine very exciting best-selling author here and 16 in women's literary fiction in the kindle store and 171 in the kindle store which is actually amazing considering how many hundreds of thousands of titles they, they publish there isn't that and there's a picture of emma as well oh my that's God. me looking glamorous that's my glamorous me yeah how excited are you it's really exciting. It's been, it's been a strange couple of weeks because the other book, Husband's Daughter, my big one, um, sort of kind of muscled in on the action. So it, it went to number yeah. four in the US a couple of days ago. Oh so I've been so excited about that because I've never been to number four. We got to number eight the first time round. So yeah, that was super exciting. Number four overall. So I kind of think the the, that that child muscled in on this one. So now I've yeah. gone back to look at this one. So I'm just hoping they do tend it, to. It, it keeps going. Yeah. It, it yeah. keeps going up and up but yes yeah, very exciting it's very it's very really exciting. exciting one hand tends to watch the other actually gets from promotion for one title another one benefits to watch is extremely good news and guys this is in a, a live real time so we're going to be coming back uh, in the next few minutes and just saying and why don't we why don't we see if we can drive it up a bit buy a few copies guys oh it's yeah that'd be marvelous yeah nice that was on a 99p deal at the moment yeah <laughs> 99p you can do that we can do that we can drive you up the charts let's do it oh that'd be amazing i don't know if it's legal or not let's have a look at our first <laughs> submission of the day this is from Nicole. There's a QR code there, and you can see, you can see whatever. Oh yes, hello Nicole. Oh, I'm excited. We're all excited today. It's a memoir. It's an anthology. It's a cookbook, and it's got a long title. I can tell you, your uncharted no recipe life: a guidebook for living and cooking with dietary restrictions. That's interesting. Let me read you Nicole's. Blurb. This is not a collection of recipes meant to be replicated. It's a collection designed to guide you on a journey to build confidence cooking for your unique dietary restrictions. Paired with personal stories to cultivate connection and understanding, showing how food shapes our lives and how we shape our relationship with food. These components provide you with the courage and skills 
to be creative, playful and exploratory with your food. Not to let dietary restrictions be life restrictions. All right, it's quite a long blurb. I think I've got the idea. Let me tell you, let me tell everybody about you, Nicole. Um, for three years, I lived without 14 staple ingredients in my diet. How interesting. I wonder what they were, actually. You don't, you don't say what they are. Why? Uh, rhetorical question. Because for 15 years, I had hiccups so violent I sounded like a seagull. Excuse me, it's not funny, but it's, it's quite something. So painful, I was afraid to even drink water. God. After 15 years of doctors failing me, I realised I had to save myself. No one was better suited to the task. As a curious scientist, avid adventurer and creative treasures, with a zest for life and effervescent attitude, I embarked on a three-year double-blind experimentation diet. That's interesting. I wonder how you double-blinded it. Uh, by myself, I had to discover the answers to my chronic illness and how to cook safely and deliciously. From the start, I saw my dietary restrictions as an adventure. Hmm. They have not once stopped me from backpacking in the Badlands, driving eight and a half thousand kilometres across the country or hosting large potluck dinner parties. I've got a Master's in Toxicology, BS in uh, Marine Science and have worked as a scientific researcher, teacher, community librarian and emergency dispatcher. That's quite, quite a, a hard CV, isn't it? With my diverse background, exciting life and positive attitude, my approach and stories cathartic and inspiring to a wide audience across a diversity of backgrounds and dietary restrictions. No one is better suited to write this book fantastic and i can tell you nicole no one is better suited to read it than Kay. your uncharted no recipe life a guidebook for living and cooking with dietary restrictions by nicole allard read by Kay. the tiniest bite if i am honest i did not want to be there that christmas but I knew it meant a lot to my parents for the whole family to be together, so there I was. My smile was forced and I know sometimes it faltered, except for when I was topping off my mum's glass of wine. Then we shared a smile that was just for the two of us. It said, I love you, and we got this at the same time. And when I was eating pickles with my niece. Like most kids her age, when my niece was two, she was a picky eater. My sister and I were never picky, so for her it was ironic that her daughter was. I could see why, but I was in no place to offer advice. I didn't see them much, and so it was a special treat for my niece to see me that Christmas. She was a bubbly ball of Christmas excitement and oblivious to my anxiety. I faked my way through hors d'oeuvre. I talked about work and life as best I could, superficially. I drank my wine and I focused on the pickles. I love pickles, any and all kinds of pickles, except pickled pig's feet. I don't much care for those, but I'm eager to give them another try, as long as they're homemade by someone who actually enjoys pickled pig's feet. I especially love my dad's pickles. The love my dad and I share for pickles dates back to when we lived in the small town of Craig, Colorado, where my parents grew, canned, dried and pickled all of their own food. We were at a party, my dad carrying me around while he caught up with friends, when I decided I was hungry. I took the pickle my dad was holding, had a bite, made a sour face and kept eating. That was my first solid food and the beginning of what some may call a pickle obsession. 
Now that he's retired, my dad has resumed the hobby of pickling. For this, I am exceedingly grateful. I try not to take too many jars of pickled produce when I come to visit. I don't want to be greedy after all, but believe me, I would take them all if my parents hadn't raised me so well. I doubt my dad put out pickles that Christmas because he knew I needed something happy to focus on while we nibbled and talked. Still, they gave me a distraction. As everyone else floated away from the table, I stayed and put more pickles on my plate. It was just me and the pickles. And my niece, who had returned, probably in search of more cheese. Seeing me put a pickled okra on my plate, she promptly asked what it was. This is pickled okra, I told her. Abba grew it in the garden this summer. In fact, you probably helped him plant it. He pickled it so that we can enjoy it after the garden has gone to sleep for the winter. It's one of your mom's favourite things. Ooh, I want to try. I cut off the tiniest bite. Basically just big enough for her to pick it up. The instant it touched her tongue, she took it out of her mouth. I don't like it. That's okay, I smiled. I'm just proud of you for trying it. She instantly smiled, sat a bit higher, squared her shoulders, and then with all of the confidence a two-year-old can muster, she put the piece back in her mouth and chewed. Smiling even bigger, she pronounced, I like it. At that point, her dad walked in and she proceeded to tell him all about the pickled okra, how Abba grew it and pickled it, that it was her mom's favourite thing and that she likes it. She insisted that he also try it. He declined a couple of times, but she insisted. So I cut another bite the same size as hers and she gave it to him, smiling the whole time. I don't know if he actually ate it. I was watching her the whole time and smiling. She had two more tiny bites before running off to play again, telling everybody about the pickled okra on her way. It's a good memory, one I hope she keeps with her. I will hold on to it for her, just in case, and smile knowing that even if she forgets, she still likes pickles and pickled okra. All right. Now, <laughs> this is an interesting one, isn't it, eh? You don't come across submissions like this every day. Let's see what the uh, uh, GD stream is saying. Vicky says, way too many pickles! Enough of the pickles already. Uh, as a self-help book, says Vagabond, this already feels hard to navigate. And Galadriel says, I like the premise of this, of someone showing that you can take control of your body and your life. However, this needs trimming and reorganizing. Too, too many pickles. Well, now, Mrs. Robinson, what do you make of this? Okay, so, hands up, I have to admit, I'm, I, if I read food blogs online, I'm the first, I'm wading through everything to get to the damn recipe. So yes. I'm probably not <laughs> the best person to ask about this. Um, I like the idea. I think the title is a little bit dry. I think, mm, yeah. you know, the style of the writing is lighter and anecdotal, and I think the title could reflect that so i was thinking something like travels to an unrestricted life or even just my no recipe life you know something a bit mm. more personal mm. but um and i also thought the blurb was quite negative it was all mm. quite a lot of negative words not this not that restricted yeah. um which i'm assuming you want it to be more upbeat so i'd say that um and i kind of agree with what a lot of people have been saying in the chat room I know some people do enjoy this kind of um, having the, the recipe and the... I remember reading one by... Um, 
oh the uh, joanne harris a while ago french cooking because i love french cooking and um that was quite nice but it was very visual the recipe was still front and center and the anecdote was secondary and obviously we don't have the recipe here to look at but i would worry that it's kind of lost its way a bit is this a memoir or is it a recipe book with moments of memoir and i think maybe it's that balance that needs to be looked at a little bit yeah absolutely i can't disagree with any of that what did you think jeff I think Emma said it's spot on, actually. I was, I was a bit confused by it. I thought it was going to be a dietary requirements book or some sort of cookbook or something. Yeah. And it was a memoir. It seemed to go from one to the other. But there was too much pickle silk in there at all. It's, it's a lot of pickles. Kind of yeah. down in pickles and ochre pickles and pickle, pig's pickle feet. Yeah. Or whatever. Um, um, completely vile, actually. I'd probably start reading the first page, actually, with pig's, pig's pickle feet. Anyway, yeah, so I think it was, there was a couple. I saw some of the grammar. I think could be looked at. There was some, some, was quite a oh, few. Really? Yeah, um, but on the whole, it was it's okay. But it's, I, I was, if I if I picked that, I would expect to see some sort of thing about cooking and about dietary regulation, that sort of thing, rather than the yeah. memoir. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Let's just see what numbers are you given you quite like the title sixty. You're given that uh, blurb. You like the blurb as well, actually. Was it the pigs trotters that did that for you? Yeah, it is indeed. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Ask the waiter if he's got pig's trotters, or is that just that, the way he naturally walks? Let's have a look at... Um, see, I think Kate's nailed it, actually. Kate says, there's something comfy about the prose. I agree. I think there is. And you said that too, actually, didn't you, Emma? That there's something kind of... This is, it's chatty, it's conversation. It's, it's warm. Nice style, it's very actually. warm. Yeah, yeah it's very warm. I liked that. I liked that a lot. I like that. I like that too. I'd give it... I've given the craft the maximum points on that. I have a suggestion. You made a suggestion. I've got a suggestion. And that is... Well, two things. Okay, first of all, t- talking straight to you, actually, Nicole. Um, uh, having done quite a few books in this area, actually. Yes. Um, written, not just um, uh, dealed. Um, so it's, it's a question of two things, really. If you're trying to break in directly like this, sort of sledgehammer approach, you've either got to have your own platform, which I don't think you've got, um, and you've got a platform, you know, you've got your own sort of um, uh, series on CNN or something like that. Then you, you can write anything you want, really. Um, and if you haven't got that, then you've got to have good timing. And you've got to have good timing with, with the topic. And I can't see that's working for you either. So my my suggestion to you, um, for what it's worth, hopefully you, you might you might think it's worth quite a lot, is do you remember I, 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 was, I was reading your, de- your description there? I said, um, I kind of gave a little bit of a snigger, and then I realised, actually, God, that's, that's serious, actually. I had to kind of swallow my reaction. Um, because 15 years, I had a hiccup so violent, I started like a seagull. That's quite funny. I started laughing then, and then the, the next bit, so painful, I was afraid to even drink water. That's serious. That's serious. I would make that the topic of the book. It's, I, I think you've got a killer title already there, actually, just hiccups. I don't think anyone's ever done a book with yeah. with hiccups as a title. Make it really personal. You know, play to your strengths as a writer. It's it's comfortable prose. And just make make it a voyage. It doesn't have to be more than 60,000, 70,000 words or so, actually. And I think on that basis, I think it could actually get picked up by the media and written about. What did you... I heard you reacting positively to that, Emma. What do you think? Yeah, I love that. I, I love the title, Hiccups. Mm, I just yeah. think I would, I would pick that up. From, yeah. a, from a table in Waterstones because yeah. I think that's... A, and like you say, it's not... And also, everybody's had the hiccups. We know exactly. how irritating that is. Yeah. So if someone tells us they've had hiccups, 
for a long period of time, yeah. we're kind of empathising and on That's board right. straight That's away. What's it like? And I, and I, I want to yeah, know what it's like. Absolutely. You wake up in the morning, the first thing you do, oh my God. Yeah. yeah, how do you speak? Yeah. How do you talk on the telephone? And, yeah. and I think that coupled with the warm style of writing could really, really work, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Good. Excellent. Thanks for backing, backing me up on that. Woo. Let's yeah. have a look at the numbers. You've got a 51 <laughs> so far. That's going to go up and down depending on what the geniuses in the genius room decide. But I, I, think, I think that's the way I would go with it. Um, hopefully you found that useful. Let us know, Nicole. Let us know. You're there right now. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Number two today is from Alex. Alex Levitsky. YA fantasy. Woohoo, good. Like that, don't we? Echoes of unsung songs. Echoes of unsung songs. Okay. And this is Alex's blurb. Irresponsible sky. Oh, you've you've tripped me up here. I don't know how to say this. I have I I, I want to say Skyon, but I think I should say Scion. So if again, I urgently need the geniuses in the genius room to let me know, please. I'm going to say Scion. An irresponsible Scion of an aristocratic family of the ancient oceanic nation. Wow, that was hard for me to get through. A street urchin wandering the dark streets of the once great capital of the crumbling empire. The one thing they have in common? The tainted blood. Persecuted almost to extinction, these bearers of beast law and death law, talents, <laughs> beast law and death law, talents, why am I making it so difficult? Oh dear, it's my fault, not you. Are universally feared and despised, ostensibly for good reason. As they flee for their lives, Egil and Resha will discover the truth about their talents and the fate of their dying world. And I don't feel I did justice to that at all. Sorry, Alex. It's me, it's not you. Um, so let's let's hear about Alex. I am a practicing solicitor, says Alex. So he's probably going to sue me now from, from malpronunciation. <laughs> uh, I went away from the confines of my office, a glider pilot. How interesting. I've been a huge fan of fantasy since I learned to read. At some point, I came to realize that my habit of daydreaming in the sky, which had almost killed me once, <laughs> Uh, was best dealt with by writing down the stories that my mind con conjures. Yes, absolutely. I've got no prior works to brag about. However, I have read hundreds of fantasy novels in my life, and I hope that gives me the kind of insight into the genre it will absolutely will do, first, um, first and best experience, um, that's so important for starting one's own writing career. Good. All right, Alex. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's an extraordinary day today because I don't think we've ever had this before, but we do have another reading today. Double your money, double your luck from Kay. Echoes of Unsung Songs by Alex Levitsky. Read by Kay. Finally, this was the end. There was no denying it. As Ragoth stood at the summit of a large hill under the sheets of bitterly cold rain, looking down at the endless sea of steaming red carnage beneath him, he felt no bitterness or anger towards the victors, only pity. True, decades ago, when those who now branded themselves the Liberators had turned against him, he was seething with fury. They had been his students once, almost his children, and that made their betrayal so much more painful. But those early days had long ago faded away. 
He wasn't even sure now if he should have fought this meaningless war to begin with. At least if he had abdicated his power back then, the empire, that jewel of mankind that they had forged through centuries of patient work, would have survived. For now. He smiled ruefully. On the other hand, this war was a kind of mercy stroke. At least the dead would not have to see the horrors that the liberators had in store for them. True, it might take centuries, if not millennia, for the liberator's scheme to bear fruit, but it will, inevitably. He shuddered at the mere thought of how the world will look when the veil is no more, when the fount is no more. Blinding jade-coloured lightning struck the battlefield below, brutally snatching him out of his contemplations. With an ear-splitting crack, the ether shield above his few remaining loyal fount weavers shattered and disappeared. Immediately, enemy elementalists struck. Rolling spheres of white-hot fire, razor-sharp invisible missiles of condensed air, lightning bolts turned the battlefield into a scene of primordial horror, full of blood-curdling screams of agony as both people and bound beasts fell. The ranks of the Liberator's heavy infantry erupted in frenzied cheers and surged forward like a tide of armour-clad locusts. What remained of his army broke and fled in all directions, the battle quickly disintegrating into a ghastly free-for-all massacre. As the enemy soldiers and fount weavers, screaming like bloodthirsty madmen, stormed up the hill where his personal guard prepared to make their last stand, Ragoth shook his head. What never ceased to amaze him was how easily people tended to forget that the lesser evil was there to prevent something much more terrible. But indeed, one couldn't appreciate the degrees of evil when they have only seen one in their lifetimes. Very few people alive today had any idea about what was lurking, slumbering beyond the veil, what the true source of the coveted fount was. They only knew, or cared to know, that there was Ragoth, the leech, the seeper, the abomination. The Liberators did know, of course. Blinded by their egos, they wanted the veil to fall, lured by the false light of power that they had no means to harness. If the entire world went into oblivion as a result, they cared not. Fools. It's time, brother. A stately woman who appeared to be in her mid-forties, but was in fact much, much older, approached him from behind. Sarana. He could discern the sweet fragrance of her gooseberry perfume, a whiff of fresh spring wind amid the nauseating stench of battle. He almost wept when he looked at her immaculate face, framed by soft dark brown hair. His sister, his lover, his only remaining ally. Hayes, her bind beast lynx, stood by her side, staring at him unblinkingly. He couldn't bear to speak a word to her, nor did he dare afford himself time for thought lest his resolve crumble. He looked into her grey-blue eyes, allowing himself to drown in them one last time before nodding. As usual, she sensed his inner turmoil and smiled reassuringly. Even in these last moments of his life, her smile alone was enough to light the sun in his soul. Ragath smiled back as he tore open his silver-black silk shirt to reveal his soul shard. A crescent-shaped onyx black thing, six inches across, fused seamlessly into his chest like some monstrous polyp. For months now, he had been infusing the shard with his lifeblood, his power, 
his very being. The shard was pulsing with energy, permeated with Ragoth's essence. Okay, essence of Ragoth, eh? I think I've used that in a recipe recently. Um, Johnny, uh, I just wrote down that word, actually, and it's interesting. Johnny read my mind. Uh, it, it is feeling a bit generic. It is feeling a bit generic. And a lot of comments come in. So if you're um, with us live, Alex, I mean, just, you know, you just pause it and read everything. Monstrous polyp. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. It's always interesting. Um, camera angle needs a narrower focus to hook us up at this point, says Kate. Yeah. And he says this is just not the right, right place to start. Doesn't stand out. I, I agree. But the author has some nice writing chops, yeah. And um, there's another comment from Annie as well. Um, oh, I can't, there's so much coming in, I can't see. Uh, another useful one from Annie. I'd start with the main character, who I'm guessing is a teenager, given the genre. And I'm not connecting with the character. I, yes, agree with that. Ed's picking up Tide of Locusts, what's one with Swarm. Battle Fatigue, says Johnny. Yeah, I'd like to know what you think, Jeff, please. I thought, I thought the writing was good, but I just think there are too many characters in there. I, I actually mm. started to get lost at the end when we talk about Rogue we talk about Wound with Liberators. There were too many. It was like a condensed, condensed completely, like a dump of walls and things. Um, spread them out, you know, just let, just let the story yeah. take control, because the story was hidden in there somewhere. Every time we seemed to get, be going off at you know, some sort of action, we get another character coming, so I got confused by that. Yeah. Not surprising, but, mind um, you, mind you, Tolkien did that too, and it, he it didn't work out too badly yeah, for him. So there's always exceptions, yeah. but I, I I feel exactly the same actually. Yeah, so it's, it's a bit like reading a synopsis rather than a, actually a submission. But uh, yeah, I think it was a story there. I, the right, I, th I thought the writer was good. The blurb was good, was good, but um, you know, it's put up by too many, too many characters. All right, fair enough. Thank you very much, Emma. Yeah, I, I like the title. I like the title a lot. I like the assonance in the title. I thought that was very nice to hit, to listen to, to read. And I liked the blurb. Um, I do agree really with what everyone's been saying that I think my essential problem with it is that there's a monstrous battlefield going on and I feel like I'm watching it through a glass window. You know, yeah. there's no yeah. connection with that yeah. violence. There's no connection. You know, it sounds like a bloodbath and yet I'm getting no sense. It's very detached. And I think that is because, as everyone said, it's the info dump, it's the lots of characters. It, it, there's just too much getting in the way of me watching this. You know, this could be a massively big bang start with this mm. violent thing on the, on the you know, and people could really engage. So I think that's my big issue. I think it needs more dialogue. It needs some of that stuff stripped out and fed in later on. Um, it got quite confusing. I think this person can clearly write. I think it was a very smooth style. There were a yeah. couple of issues with things, but nothing that can't be ironed out by an editor. Um, and I think there were some nice touches of description. Like I love the gooseberry perfume because for me instantly I could, I got something about that character. Um, I also, somebody said, I guess this character's a teenager, and that kind of, someone in the chat room said that, and I thought, oh gosh, are they? Because to me, they felt like a 40-year-old man, I didn't, not yeah, a teenager. Exactly, I didn't pick yeah, the wrong so, up at all. Yeah, yeah so I, I do think that, that needs to be, and, and I want to be, I want to be there in that action, yeah, not, exactly. not standing exactly. back listening to it. Exactly. So Alex has done lots and lots of reading in this area. So clearly, genre he loves a lot, and it's a very big genre, a very commercial genre. Um, what's the single best piece of advice we can give him? Do you think it's um? 
I need to be invested in, uh, in somebody here. Action. Action. Yeah. Okay. 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 You got a 56 so far, Alex. Um, let's just see. Genius Room likes your title. Um, kind of so-so about the craft and commercial appeal. They're less than... And I've given you 40s across the board for that. Um, action, says Emma. I, I, I agree with that, um, and I also want to get invested in, in, a, in somebody pretty soon, otherwise I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop out. Got to start identifying with, with the protagonist pretty, pretty early on, I think, if, if you're going to hold the mind of the YA reader. That's what I think, but who knows? I could be wrong. And here we are, live and direct <laughs> from Amazon Co. UK. The excitement is mounting. People are, people are placing bets all over the place. Just refresh the page and to see if the vast united resources of the Litopia Genius Room have actually had a massive impact. And we've now got a number one bestseller. Let's scroll down and see the result. It's gone oh, down oh, one. It's no. gone down one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? What did you do? Exactly. She's People cancelling their orders. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Oh come on. We, it's only 99p. For heaven's sake. Oh, oh, this is so embarrassing it's for me. It's got time. It's got this time. Is it's so still embarrassing. You. Tell us. Tell us. <laughs> tell us uh, what it's all. Uh, this. I'm trying to count up the numbers here. You know the numbers better than me. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Is this your eighth or ninth book? It is my eighth book, which eighth is book. crazy. It's amazing, Absolutely isn't it? crazy. I would say with this book, I've learned something new, which is really getting to the crux of, of the dilemma in the book and using that as a way to kind of pitch the book. Oh. So this one um, is about Anna and her daughter Libby. She's a single yeah. parent. Uh, Libby struck down by the end of chapter one with a kidney disease for which she will need a transplant. Anna and everybody else is not suitable for a donor so Anna has to go back to her ex-husband who is uh, abusive as a narcissist and he is the one she has to go back to and obviously that gives him a power that she's only just escaped from okay. so she's in that so essentially I said I can say it quickly and then I've said it not quickly That's but right. essentially <laughs> the dilemma is the dilemma is what would you do if the only person that could heal your daughter was the man that nearly broke you? It's a great set, a great dilemma. No wonder it's, it's rising even as we speak. It's very, it's very Jodie Pickle. I think that's what Jodie Pickle always did very well, was set up this dilemma for the reader, which is what would you do? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, and that's kind of. We are going to ask you about the kindness anthology, but not not the moment because we've got we got okay. several more submissions to look up. But I, there is one one more thing I do want to ask you about because when you started writing, you started in almost the most difficult area of all, and you did it really well, which is humorous books. So you've made the transition from humour to heart wrenching, and yes. I love the, love the heavy, heavy breathing. By the way, I can't tell you. <laughs> I'm still I can't doing begin, it. Yes, I can't <laughs> tell you what it's doing for me. But ASMR <laughs> magnified to the power of ten. It's fabulous. That's my new Genre. But why? Why did you? Yeah. Why did you make? How? Why and how did you make that transition? The why was purely because I wasn't getting the sales from the humour that um, okay. 
that I could have got. And my editor, who is fabulous, we had a long conversation, and she said by looking at my reviews, the part that my readers most connected with when they actually wrote reviews were the heart-wrenching elements within the story. Because right. obviously, as you know, all good right. humour also has the pathos, and that yeah. was the part that people were actually... Wow connecting with yeah um i didn't think i could do it to be honest i didn't think that that would be my genre which is interesting but she believed that i could um and obviously our husband's daughter's now sold 130,000 copies so i think i think she might have been right she was isn't it fantastic to have that degree of editorial support i think that's just absolutely and i'm very fortunate to have such a supportive you know an an editor that's interested in my career rather than individual books that's a really inspiring story, actually. Thank you so much for sharing that. And submission number three today is called... Interesting. It's got a slash in the title. Neither slash nor. Science fiction. Mm. It's from Benjamin, and this is Benjamin's blurb. A futuristic retelling of the Pandora myth. After stumbling upon a deadly conspiracy, a claims adjuster forms an uneasy partnership with a rogue plutocrat who promises to keep her safe for a price. She must take part in a counterplot that would save countless lives by unleashing a new technology with the power to shape memory and desire. Hmm. All right, taking that in, interesting. Uh, tell you about Benjamin, a native of Kansas City. I currently live in the UK where I work as a stay-at-home dad by day and English tutor by night. Uh, I've previously published speculative and satirical short stories in literary journals such as Lighthouse, Storgy, Storgy, and Firewords. And we are going to be graced, as indeed you are, by a terrific reading from Bev. Neither Nor by Benjamin Rogers, read by Bev. Until about five minutes ago, the economy of breath was something Loma had never considered. But faced with the fact of her own continued existence, something her denunciation and subsequent arrest had given her good cause to doubt, she felt obliged to keep her own respirations at an absolute minimum. It seemed, first of all, a matter of tact. Don't show off all those extra breaths you're getting, Loma. Or maybe it was just shame. Either way, She didn't want to tempt fate or test the mercy of whoever it was that had intervened to keep her alive. Because there, at the back of her mind, that familiar little voice kept reminding her that every new breath was not a blessing to be rejoiced. Each breath she took was a debt. An economised breath attracts no attention, steady without being rhythmic, and noiseless, of course, in its draw and release, causing no visible stirring of the body. This could only be done through the nose, she found, and so that's how she did it, perfecting the method on her long ride up in the lift. She could be a corpse, or the next best thing. Her control faltered when the lift doors opened onto a penthouse overlooking the Thames as it wound and narrowed westward, where the sky was already red with evening. Loma felt suddenly displaced from time, unsure if the sunset meant it was earlier or later than she'd expected. She wasn't even sure what day it was. A small figure stood amid a circle of sofas and chairs. A child, she thought at first, but a moment later recognised none other than Lilith Harlow, Executive Director of Coelia Tech Industries, one of the most powerful people in the solar system. Please come in, come sit, Harlow said, extending a hand towards one of the chairs. 
Loma stepped into an open expanse of luxury. Floor-to-ceiling windows stretched along the outer three walls, and a low, broad, unmade bed nestled at the southern end. The furnishings were old and selected with impeccable taste, not merely a display of brute wealth. Harlow gestured to a white armchair, the most modern-looking thing in the room. Harlow sat across from her on a high-backed red and white satin settee. Between them was a low wooden table with an inlaid border of darker and lighter woods that reminded Loma of the twist of rope. Harlow was unusually small, with short white hair and skin pale to the point of translucence. A long black dress buttoned down the front fell in loose folds over her narrow body. Loma wasn't sure what it was made of, but the material had the sheen of leather and the airiness of linen. Blue silk shoes peeped out from beneath. She was a doyen, that rare class of irreplaceable elites made medically immortal. No one knew the exact details of her origins, but Loma had heard that she went all the way back to those wild days before the great stabilisation. How are you feeling? the director asked. Loma paused. Physically? Yes. Well, fine, I guess. No ill effects from the surgery, I gather. No, I mean, a bit of buzzing at first, but... Harlow nodded quickly. In the arms and legs, yes. All completely normal, I assure you. It was your first time, wasn't it, having your neural implant replaced? That's right. Very prudent. Harlow's smile surprised Loma. This was not some well-mannered simper, but an unreserved expression of pleasure, the kind that invites accomplices. Despite herself, Loma let out of breath that was halfway to laughter. You know, Harlow said, you were in quite the tangle when I found you. Loma caught her breath again, saying nothing in reply. Harlow's smile narrowed. I expect when that security drone snared you, you never thought you'd open your eyes again. A moment passed before Loma answered. No, I didn't. She wondered how much she could trust the sympathy she saw on Harlow's face, if it was really there in the eyes or not. And how do you feel about that? Harlow asked. No, Loma decided. This wasn't sympathy at all. Make a priority submission. Priority.latopia.com Alright, let's check out the genius's eye. Uh, plural of genius being genii. Uh, and it says, very confident writing it is, isn't it? Characters are believable and subtle world building is good too. Definitely to read more, says Glenn and Cora. Lovely putting exposition in the dialogue. Like this a lot. Yeah, Glenn says, love the last line. Uh, glad you like this. Reminds me of Blade Runner. Can almost hear Vangelis in the background. <laughs> and Terry says, enjoying this, but got confused about Loma's physical position at the start. I got the impression she was laying down, pretending to be dead, and Annie really enjoying this. What did you think then, Emma? I loved this. Absolutely loved it. And I don't read sci-fi, apart from ah. sort of classics like Hitchhiker's Guide and things like that, but I, I absolutely loved it. And I thought um, the previous uh, extract when we talked about um, having too much of an info dump and it needing dialogue and you need to drip feed information, this writer does it so much better. Like we get okay. lots of little nuggets, little, little temp enough that we can understand for now and the promise you know, the promise that later on we will find out what all of these things are. And I think it was Kate that said about this confident prose. And I think mm. when you're writing about something like this, a whole other world that we know nothing about, 
as a reader, we need to feel confident that this writer is going to explain. And I'm happy to suspend not knowing mm. things because this prose makes me confident that I will find out. Fantastic. And it will be explained. And I Fantastic. love the characterization. I love the two characters, the small details, like when she walks in and she thinks initially it's a small child and it's actually the head of the... I just loved that. I thought it was, it was deftly done, I thought. Really, really good. Definitely done. Fantastic endorsement there from Emma. Um, Katie says, Demon, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes they say stuff. It does my head in. I don't know what <laughs> demons. They're talking about demons. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm sure that it's relevant somehow, but I'm just not clever enough to, to get it. What did you think there, Jeff? Yeah, I thought it was, I really enjoyed it. Actually, I think it was very well written. Um, I thought it kept the, the actual description, everything like that. You could, you actually, when she's actually going in there with the breath and thing, you, you could actually, you, it's almost, she was like you were there. It's, it's very, very realistic. Um, one slight thing I didn't like, I think the description of the actual office went on a little bit too long. I can be cut saying, but apart from that, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's good, fantastic, good, and that's that's reflected in the numbers as well. You give it eighty for commercial. Um, yeah, appeal, which is excellent. Let's just check back one more time with the genii. Still talking about demons. And the final number, I don't believe that's... Fifth. I don't think that's accurate. Uh, Emma, you haven't voted. No, I've put... Ah. i put... No. <coughs> oh, I didn't press vote. It's you my fault. Press your button. I pressed, I pressed the button now. It's on there. It's on there. I'm terrible. There you go. Oh, my goodness, look. It. You can clearly see I love. Five I absolutely loved it. stars across the board. Ca- could I stars. say as well that Bev's yeah. reading really added to me, that to me. Yeah. I thought the, her, I know we've talked a lot about breath tonight, but oh, you know, yes. the way she read that was, you know, it, it, she breathed it. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. I loved the whole experience. I, yeah. I want oh, more. that's great. That's so nice. <laughs> that's, I think you probably will get more as well. Uh, that's a commanding position, actually. You've suddenly jumped into the Benjamin. Let's have a look at the scorecard so far. Yeah, look, green means good, and you're winning across every category today at the moment. You've got 73, which actually, you know, in previous months, that would be enough to put you right at the top of the list on a monthly basis. But who knows? It's only the first show of the month, and we still have two more submissions. And before that, we're going to, we're going to actually look at the, oh, here we go. Here we go. That's what we're going to do. Going to go back to Amazon. Kind of click refresh. Didn't go well last time. <laughs> we no. all got disconnected. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave. That'll be me leaving. Say, it's still 13. I, I think they, they've they got it wrong because obviously thousands of Litopians have been They do take a long buying. time. As someone that has been refreshing every five seconds, they do take a long time <laughs> for that. <laughs> That's probably why. It's like a, a DDoS attack on the Amazon servers, and they, they're trying to locate it to North Korea or something. It's not. It's Essex. It's Emma hitting the refresh button all the time. Really That's exactly is. what it is. That's exactly what it is. What's all this with about kindness? You're, you're, you're oh, participating yes. in something. What's, what's that about? So I don't know if you know the the author L.J. Ross. She's very successful, um, self-published and and traditionally published author. Yeah. Um, very, very, very successful. And she's um, put together this anthology called Everyday Kindness to raise oh. money for Shelter, the homeless charity. Mm-hmm. Um, and she put a call out to any writers who would be willing to contribute a short story. And I have a short story in there called Detention. Oh, that's good. I'm delighted yeah, to so, hear that. Yeah, and it's all short stories, so it's all... Um, you know, one sitting reads, you know, stories of between kind of 1,500 to 2,500 words. So, you know, very short. And it's, um, it's all and about all kindness. Yeah, they're all about kindness. 
Yes, I have. Yes, so it's all uplifting stories about kindness to read every day as a kind of an uplifting yeah. experience for yeah. the reader. Great gift for Christmas, nice. I would okay. say. Okay, you're plugging it like <laughs> mad. You're plugging it like you know, your your position on Amazon kind of depends on it. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it all goes to Shelter, which is obviously a massively important charity. Um, what I want to know is: Is World Kindness Day on the Saturday, the thirteenth of November? That's the day it comes Saturday. out. Yeah. So does that mean everybody else for the other 364 days in the in the, in the year can be absolute bastards? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just that day. You just focus on that day. <laughs> now, there's a premise right. for a novel. Now, there's a premise for a novel. But before we get into that, we're going to have a look at submission number four. And it's called A Circle Removed. It's YA historical. It's from Ken. And this is Ken's blurb. Paul's teachers say he's distracted, and they're not wrong. But with the demands of an Oklahoma farm, Hitler dominating the headlines and an emotionally distant father keeping secrets about his mother's death. Who can blame him? When the windfall from an oil discovery triggers a rags-to-riches transformation, it also sets in motion events that lead to tragedy. Paul, plagued with guilt, confronts the consequences of his choices. In doing so, he finds a second chance with his troubled father. Let me tell you about Ken. Since completion of a graduate degree from MIT, my professional career has been based in the oil industry. Including work that's been featured on, on ABC's Good Morning America. I think oil is sloshing around in the background there. I don't know who it is. It's not, not heavy breathing this time, at least. Um, I wonder what that was, actually. Work in the oil industry, ABC, Good Morning America. That's cool. Interesting. Intriguing, that. In 2017, the Houston Chronicle published my essay reflecting on the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey. And drawn from my personal experience, the struggle of a city to heal. That's very interesting. And um, I'm delighted to tell you, uh, Ken, that the, um, the wonderful person who actually heads our team of narrators, and my God, she, she works really hard to ensure everybody gets the best possible reading on the show. Emily herself is going to be reading this, and it's quite an honour. A Circle Removed by Ken Read by Emily. Chapter One. Frank scanned the western horizon, his eyes trailing across distant wheat fields, waiting to cradle the setting sun. He'd passed through this region nearly two hundred times since wartime demand had spiked. And though the reason for those journeys was manifestly regrettable, he'd accepted that for what it was. Less than a mile to the bend, Ezra spoke up above the relentless chatter. Frank nodded, then checked his speed though the precaution was completely unnecessary. He'd known Ezra since the kid was barely old enough to get hired, and he'd taken him under his wing, more out of boredom than an act of kindness. An hour late at the most, my friend. Midday tomorrow, I think. Well, pick it up, Ezra replied, with enough enthusiasm to draw a glance. What's with you? Ezra smiled, but he didn't take the bait. His aura and aura was his own business, and besides... Frank couldn't have cared less with a wife in her eighth month and a history of delivering early. Guess how many runs we've made together, Ezra went on. I have no idea. Come on, guess! Ezra, this may come as a complete shock to you, but I've got better things to do than 999 and a half if you count Wichita. You kept track? Yep, every damn one duly logged and recorded. Frank regarded him for a moment. And exactly what am I supposed to do with that information? 
I figured you'd want to plan a celebration, you know, for when we hit a thousand. I'll get right on that. The truth was, Frank had enjoyed Ezra's company more than he'd care to admit. If this wasn't the loneliest damn job on the planet, it would surely make anyone's top five. And that they'd managed that many runs without a single safety incident was something few crews could claim. Frank glanced ahead at the approaching brend that disappeared around a rolling hillside. Seriously, Ezra went on, we should make a night. But then he abruptly stopped at the change in Frank's expression. Frank's eyes were riveted ahead, his face suddenly frozen. When Ezra turned, he immediately spotted the twelve-inch gap just fifty yards ahead in closing. There was no time to warn the others, not that it would have mattered. As the damaged joint passed underneath, Frank felt the vibration as clearly as the E-string on his Gibson guitar. Miraculously, they slid by unscathed, then pivoted to look behind them. The procession was still obediently following, until that trust was violently broken. A tank car tilted, then lurched to the right before toppling down an embankment. One by one, others gave chase. Nine of them ruptured on impact, and the top plate on a tenth partially failed. Ezra, brace! Frank shouted as he hooked an arm around a support. Frank had been trained for precisely this moment, but things were happening far more swiftly than what some old codger could retell in a classroom. When a coupling sheared off, they were released to their own faith, one that was far more forgiving than the wreckage piling up in their wake. Due to luck more than anything else, no explosion ensued. A torrent of recent rainfall had kept the friction at bay, averting a chain reaction from nearly one million gallons of unrefined crude. Over the weeks to follow, an NTSB review would uncover the root cause. Metal fatigue in a connecting fish plate that had been missed by an overworked inspector. But pressurised by the railway's owner, the lead investigator would cite a contributing factor prior to opting for an early retirement. And though the claim of excessive speed was dead wrong, the allegation would serve its purpose. Grinding to a halt, Frank and Ezra shut their eyes in unison, then exited the cab without speaking. As they wound through the twisted wreckage, Frank covered his nose and mouth against the fumes that would persist for days. He was vaguely aware of some nearby cattle, but he had more important things on his mind. And so ended the 999th run, one short of a hell of a milestone. For Frank, it marked the end of a career, and among the consequences born from that untimely conclusion, that was the only one he'd never regret. Be part of today's live show in the YouTube chat room, yt.litopia.com. <coughs> so, um, yeah, Terry's just uh, made the point about the time jump. Odd shift in, in perspective, says Clive. Uh, in the middle of drama, we're thrown forward to a... I know, I find that very disconcerting, actually. Um, yeah, and Vagabond says, can't see it appealing to a bored 16-year-old. And Annie says, this is a prologue, right? <laughs> and he, yeah, it may be sneak, sneaking in one of those prologues under the radar. I don't think we don't notice. Huh. Um, washing over me a bit, says Johnny. I've got lost, says Vagabond. Writing's nice, <clears throat> says Annie, but I'm not being drawn in. Maybe this isn't the right place to start. Um, and let's just see. Emily said, I like this a lot. And of course, Emily gave us the narration, so it's well worth listening to. Um, like the writing dialogue set up in these first 700 words, uh, Emily's narration was lifting what might be pedestrian writing, says Galadriel. And that's always a, always a danger, really. Uh, although we, you know, everyone works so hard to 
to put everything they can into into readings here. Um, I've got my own thoughts, but let's see what uh, Jeff thinks first. I liked it. I thought the writing was very good. It was a good storyline. Um, I like the interaction between the two initial characters. Oh, that was very good. I like the blurb. Um, but then I got confused. If we get halfway down through, uh, Ezra and Frank are talking to each other. Yeah. And suddenly we had their accent. And then we had something else they were talking I know, about. I know. Was a nice report on the accident. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you asked me, what was that all about? Yeah, it, it went all um, MIT at that point. And we got into structural yeah. failures and, and, and stuff like that. And uh, Exactly. I don't know why why you did that, Ken, because it's. I, I felt that I was really getting to terms of the relationship between these two, and then suddenly, mm. in weeks to come, the you know the investigative report. They want, what? I don't want that. I, I just mm. want to. Anyway, that's just what I thought. Um, what did you think, Emma? Yeah, probably similar to what you've both said. I, I liked the relationship between the two. I, going by the blurb, I assumed this was the father and son. That was my what I'd assumed. And I quite liked mm. the dynamic between the two of them, the kind of eager son saying, oh, do you know how many times we've done it? And the weary father saying, well, I'm really not interested. And I think, you know, that was identifiable. I thought the dialogue was good. It seemed quite natural. It was a little bit sparse for me. It was almost like a script. So I'd want a bit around that. And I think the... The juxtaposition of this lovely kind of chatty thing with then the bang of the accident worked really well. But from the point of the accident, I just yeah. got completely lost yeah, and I didn't, I, I hadn't, didn't have a clue what was going on. So I think there's a lot of potential there um, between, you know, and I think there's a lot of I think there is. Um, yeah. Yeah, contrast in there that yeah. works really well. The old and the young, the, the action and the inaction, the da, da, da. And I think that all works. But I think, yeah, that needs heavily yeah. editing that big accident he does he does and it's a shame actually because i felt i felt there was a real feeling there for the relationship and i was getting into it it's really getting a sense of a place the only thing that i do wonder and i think i think the genius rooms pick that this up obviously they pick everything up before i do um is i don't know how ya this really feels i'm wondering if ken is best advised to to push this to to why does it feel ya to you no no it does well no, at the moment, no. But I think it could easily become could be. YA if we get mm. a bit more of that father-son relationship. Mm. And is it Ezra, who's, who I assumed was the younger, um, if we get more of him? Because yeah. at the moment, it's from Frank's perspective. Yeah. So I think I'd want it from the boy's perspective. Okay. And that might shift it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good advice there. Uh, that means you've got... I know it's kind of very mixed, actually, if you look at the numbers here, Ken. You've got... Uh, I think a lot of people like the craft... Um, well, I did. <laughs> That's one. <laughs> um, but it's kind of up and down, so you would be well advised just to go back to the genius room here, just read everything, because you're getting what you're getting here is absolutely priceless. Actually, I mean, you're getting instant reaction from people who really care. So just you know, just pause, go through it, um, and play to your strengths. You know, you don't have to. You don't, writing is often a question of doing that. It's interesting. Emma was talking kind of about that actually. Her editor picked up that she's really good at you know the emotional side of things, and that's what she's excelling at right now, which is fabulous. Absolutely. Fabulous. So I, I did just look at the. Um, 
the numbers at the moment uh, for To Save My Child. I can't help staying. It's still number 13. Come on, Amazon. I mean, bloody hell. Come on. I'm sending rockets into space and they can't even get the numbers right. Emma's book, I don't know. Ah, this is from Ian. And there's a QR code there too. Uh, as I always say, QR codes, give them a scan on your phone and see where Ian would like you to go. It's called Rogues in Paradise. And it's our last submission of the day. Oh, sorry about that, because I'm having such a good time with Emma and Jeff. But all things must come to an end, and here it is, possibly the climax of the day, we don't know. Now, look at this. This is an interesting genre, or is it? Non-fiction. Oh, dear. <clears throat> well, you know, when I saw that, I did see it earlier, and I saw it. Oh, I thought, oh, shall I correct that? And I, no, actually. So you, you've got you to gotta do your, your spell check. You've got to do your spell check, otherwise people are just going to dismiss with, with prejudice. And I know it's a mistake that we can all make, but you've got to check it, mate. Uh, travel at crossover history, race culture. Okay. Rogues steps beyond the tourism facade into the vibrant hidden patchwork of Barbados culture and lifestyles. Its main characters bursting with energy and humour are the ordinary extra, extraordinary rogues, heroes and everyday people who will delight readers with their endearing personalities, outlandish antics and wit. Weaving together slavery, race, place, time and history, Rogues celebrates cultural identity, friendship and adventure and honours the human spirit in us all. Let me tell everybody about you, Ian Armour travel and technology blogger, photographer, and videographer. I write about travel, people, places for fun, and have published many articles on travel and technology. My work has been featured in the New York Times and many publications and media in Canada. I was awarded the Atlantic Canada $1 million grant for innovation. What? <laughs> Wow! Can we get one of those, please? <laughs> Very useful. Get a real studio then. Oh, uh, wow, what do you do with the money? Uh, the grant was used to fund the development of an interactive environmental info atlas of the Fundy, Maine and George's Bank, FMG region, in the US and Canada. Wow, wow. I'd like to know more about that. And did you have any change left over, by any chance? <laughs> oh, dear me. All right, so look, last submission of the day. Maybe the greatest reading yet, who knows, is from Johnny. Rogues in Paradise by Ian R. Clayton Read by John 1. Two weeks to Judgment Day It's early. Ace wakes with the day, eats a banana and drinks coconut water. It's medicine man, he told me once. Coconut got to be young, picked long before they get hard with jelly. Still small in the tree, no bigger than a cricket ball. Full of nourishment then. Better than medicine. Keeps the system clean and fresh. And good for the kidneys too. Plenty of iron. Makes you feel like a lion. At 6am, Ace heads out into the day. Purposefully striding down Horse Hill. His hard feet stamping a rhythm onto the cool asphalt. Flip, flap, slide and slap. A fox on the prowl, alert. Confident, striding to the beat of his own music, in his soul. Flip, flap, slide and slap. African drums on a pavement play. Feel the groove, move the body, lift the spirit, rise again. Vibrations of the Caribbean, Afrozouk and Soka Reggae in the blood. Flip, flap, slide and slap. Man in motion, moving on, heading downhill on a stroll. 
cagely checking out his lair, cunning-looking, moving slow, wags his tail to and fro for pleasures that he soon may know. The village is quiet. The dogs eye him sleepily from their beds under the raised floors of the chattel homes along the road. Got to pay five hundred dollars or they throw me in jail, he hums. Got to find the money, man, or I'll be sitting in a damp, dark cell with no unripe coconuts to keep this mind and body well. Just two weeks till judgment day, five hundred dollars, months away. Ras man, should never have happened. Ace don't have no truck with the law. Live outside it. Not me they ought to worry with. There are bad people, lazy people, and crazy people. Man, I don't do no harm. Man got to live. Fetch a pile of coconuts, sell some bananas, do a favour for a man, borrow some food. Ain't no harm in that. Ain't me they should worry about. Sure, I took a little dope. Had a little snort of coke. Trouble, man. Coke brings trouble with the law. But I ain't no pushing me. Never done no truck with dope. Just a snort, a swig, a smoke. Just for me and friends I know. Possession's what they say. When they take my coke away and give me little time to pay. He is tuned to the sound of movement. The music of motion. Flip, flap, slide, slap. His oversized shirt flaps in the wind in time to the rhythm on his feet on the street. His breath is steady, heart beating like a bass. A harmony. Flip, flap, slide and slap. Got a monkey on my back. Five hundred dollars left to pay. I am a symphony, man in motion. Para walking down my hill. Gotta find the money, man. Flip, flap, slide and slap. Moving forward, never back. Ain't no rhyme in the jailhouse block. No such thing as jailhouse rock. Got to keep the music live. Ain't going to no jailhouse dive. A breadfruit tree extends over the road. He picks a ripe fruit and puts it in his sack. He thinks Roundhouse may buy it for the breadfruit chips. He takes a detour through Joe's River Tenantry, past the chattel houses on the cliff. Off in the distance, Atlantic waves roll to the shore. Got to see those waves each day. Bathsheba, that's where I stay. Got to find the money, man. No one putting Ace away. Flip flap, slide and slap. Get this monkey off my back. Time if I steal and no time to pay. Time if I don't and time if I do. Time for a time, whatever man. Go get clear, got to stay clean, got to figure it, sort it out and make it right. Ain't doing no time, no ace in no cell, no ace in the clink. Got to figure a plan, find some time to think. Borrow just a little time, take a little for a time. Plenty time and money here. Movie cameras, laptops, fancy cars and stereos. Fetch some money on the street. Ain't gonna steal, just gotta take a little time for the magistrate. Alright, so I don't know where to begin with this. I really don't. It's very it's very a bit of a curious egg of a submission. Um let's see what the genie is saying. Who's the narrator? says Kate. Yeah, I'm wondering that too. Uh, there is a voice there, says Ancora, but this isn't drawing me in, I'm switching off. Uh, lost by the end, which is same thing really says Vicky. Feels far more than seven hundred. Well, it did actually, yeah. What did you think, Jeff? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it at the beginning. I thought it was great. It's actually, a reference to Bob Marley and things like that. And I think it's, it's, we like the blurb. I think it's, I think it's a number of people point out. He started going on a bit about this flip flap flop that was going on a bit more and more and more. 
And yeah. I got a bit lost at the end. It seems to be saying he's picking up things to say with, thrown in. There's a nice, really nice rhythm there, I must admit. There was a lot, lot, of, lot of nice rhythm, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't feel there's a lot of story. I think I think the writer can write mm. the little bits in between that poked out. There was some writing going on there. Um, no, I, think, uh, I think something mentioned about Bowen going for a whole book. You couldn't do that. No, it's a section. That. Well, I think I think about it. Was, it's supposed to, I thought it was supposed to be a travel, a travel dialogue. Yeah. Fiction, yeah, yeah, exactly. Quite yeah. yeah, I think Ian's, Ian's gone a long way down the experimental route. Come back, Ian. Come back. It's okay. What did you think, Emma? Yeah, I was confused a, a bit. Like Jeff, I was a bit confused what this was because it says non-fiction or travel fiction. Mm. I wondered. It seems a bit more like narrative non-fiction, but there's no narrative, so I'm yeah. a little bit confused. I almost wondered if, if. And even from the blurb, I wasn't really sure what I was getting because it seemed to be focused on kind of colourful characters there. But that's not, you know, we need, for it to be travel, we need the place first and the character second, in my opinion. And I, I don't know, I just was completely lost with it, really. I think it read, you know, it was very poetic in places. I thought, mm. you know, the sound and the, and the language and the rhythm was there. But... Yeah, I just was completely confused as to what it was or what it was trying to be. So yeah. I'd be interested to know what travel lit and what narrative nonfiction this writer has read. Because yeah. I would think that would be my first tip, would say, go and read, yeah. I don't know, Three Women by Lisa Tadeo, or go and mm. read, um, you know, go and read some really well done narrative nonfiction and, and how that's plotted and then see if this yeah. fits. Yeah, that's I think that's really good advice. I think you got you gone too far down the experimental route on that. Yeah, and I do think there's an interesting story there, but it's just not coming out at all for me. Let's see what the numbers are looking like. Has everybody voted? Yes, they have. They have. And you've got a 54, a solid 54. But I think take take our advice and do a serious rethink on this. Now then, that does mean we've got to the end of the show. I'm not actually going to. Yes, I am. I am. I am. I can't resist it. Look, here we go. I'm going I'm to I'm live dangerously again. It won't change. You might, as long as it doesn't go down. If it goes oh, down, that's it. We're, oh, we're over. Are we going to cry? We're going to cry. It's the same. It's, it's just the same. The same. They can't. So Jeff Bezos is buggering off yes. doing something too else. Busy. He too busy. Too busy with the rocket fuel. can't be bothered to update his numbers. <laughs> I'm not impressed at all with that. Sorry, Jeff. Not at all. Let's, uh, but I will be impressed to see who has actually come out top of the show all right so it looks to me as if benjamin is head and shoulders above here yeah, the, the rest there actually all, all decent marks but benjamin clearly is congratulations benjamin lots of good things to say about that stand a very good chance of being our monthly winner with a score like that but who knows who knows guys to join us next week to find out what uh, what the state of play is there and I want to say thank you so much isn't it great having Emma on it just feels like a nice cup of tea in someone's home really when Emma comes on it's brilliant and full of good advice yes Emma yes I'm going to going to show you finally to to our, our loving adoring audience who've completely That's failed so to move kind. the needle on your on your score on <laughs> <Yes>. Amazon <laughs> you don't need us you're bigger than <laughs> us now that's the thing but hopefully you will come back and see us again at some point in the future uh, 
I would you. love to. I really Fantastic. enjoyed it. Fantastic. And thank you so much, Jeff, too, for giving your, yeah. your wit and wisdom. And, of course, the geniuses in the genius room and Emily and Kate and Rachel and everybody else behind the scenes. See you next week, folks. All of the world's a stage. Welcome to the show. I glance at you. You're smiling me like